to invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, to join me in turning to the New Testament Gospel of John. John chapter 20 is where we'll be, and often in our studies, I'll read through a series of verses. Today, I'm going to talk through a series of verses, and then we'll... We'll read one together, but I love Easter Sunday. I love the meaning of it all. I love the power and the realization that Jesus Christ is God the Son, that he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave when he rose again from the dead. And what a bleak picture it was when Jesus was placed in that tomb. It appeared as though death had won. Earlier in our service, Ryan read a verse with us, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55, the Bible says this, O death, where is Thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory? And in the Bible times, death would often be referred to as the sting, the sting of death. Let me tell you something. When death stung Jesus Christ, death stung itself to death. Jesus took the stinger right away. And Jesus arose victorious the third day. And I want you to know something today. We're not here today to play church. We're not here today to act religious. We're not here today to punch our Christmas and Easter card and say we've done well. What brings us together today is to honor a Savior who is everything he claimed to be. He can do everything he claimed to do. He never wrote a song, but more songs are sung about him than any other. He never wrote a book, but we know that more books have been written about him than any other. Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father, and he changes lives. I read a story not too long ago that touched my heart. It was the story of a lady by the name of Ruth Dillow, and Ruth was a mother, and this story took place during the height of Desert Storm. And, and the story revealed an occasion where Ruth had a son by the name of Clayton, and he was in this theater of warfare. He was serving our country in this place of warfare. And one day a message came in to Ruth that a call from the Pentagon was awaiting her. And if you're a mom with a child serving in the military, forward deployed in a dangerous place, uh, that's kind of a difficult thought to be getting a call from the Pentagon. And it was everything she feared it would be. They called and they informed her that her son had stepped on a mine and, and that he had died serving his country. And And Ruth told the story of the grief that just overwhelmed her, the hopelessness, the despair, the utter loss. Ruth wrote these words. She she said, I can't begin to describe my grief and shock. It was almost more than I could even bear. For three days, I wept. For three days, I expressed anger and loss. For three days, people tried to comfort me to no avail because the loss was too great. But after three days... Something happened. Ruth got another phone call, and the voice on the other end of the phone said, Mom, it's me. And Ruth was confused. She didn't know what was going on. But, but the voice said, Mom, it's me, Clayton. And, and that call that had come in from the Pentagon was just a horrible mistake. And the reality was this son that she thought had died was alive. And the joy that came to her heart was even greater than the grief that had been there later speaking to the press. She said this. She said, I laughed. I cried. I felt like turning cartwheels because my son, whom I thought was dead, was really alive. And then to this, this group, she said this. She said, and I'm sure none of you can even begin to understand how I felt. And Ruth, no, we would not begin to claim we understand how you felt. But we're going to meet a lady today in the narrative of the Easter story who I think could relate 
It's a lady by the name of Mary, and if you've read the New Testament, there's more than one Mary. This is Mary Magdalene, and and Mary was a lady that knew Jesus Christ, and she had a good understanding of who Jesus was. In fact, the Bible tells us that she loved Jesus, and she had a pretty good degree of understanding of what Jesus was all about. But when Jesus hung on that old rugged cross, and when his blood flowed from his body, and when he breathed his last breath, declaring that it is finished, it rocked her world. She didn't understand. That wasn't the way any of the followers of Jesus Christ anticipated things would go. The finality was overwhelming, and I have no doubt that the brutality of the crucifixion put some images in her mind that would have stuck with her for her lifetime. And like Mrs. Dillow, like Ruth, she had a broken heart. And like Ruth, for three days she grieved, perhaps inconsolably so. For three days, her whole world was turned upside down. But on the morning of the third day, she made her way to the tomb where Jesus had been placed. She came to what we might say, pay her respects. When she arrived, she noticed something right away. She noticed that, that the stone that had covered the tomb, I've read the stone, would have been about two tons. This would have been an enormous stone. It would have been rolled downhill in a channel. It would have been the kind of stone a couple men could have rolled into place, but it would have taken many more to roll it out of place. And, and yet we know that it couldn't have been removed even from the inside. And so she arrives and the stone is gone. And, and she's thinking... She's wondering, what's going on here? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 2 that, that there was a great earthquake and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and he came and rolled back the stone from the door and he sat upon it. And so Mary's here looking around. She notices the stone that had been covering the grave is now gone. And, and she's looking around and the angel I just shared with you about in Matthew chapter 28 is also present in John chapter 20, except the Bible tells us there that there were two of them. And so she turned around and there on, on this this area she finds two angels but the bible tells us she was overwhelmed with grief and oftentimes when we're in grief we're we're probably not as sharp as at other times and she had been crying and she's looking through tears and she's looking through the prism of a life that really had been shattered and she sees these beings and and, and they look at her and the bible tells us they said to her why are you crying why weepest thou What's going on in your life? Why are you so broken? Why are you overwhelmed? Why all the grief? They asked Mary, why, why are you crying? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I, I know not where they have laid him. After that statement, she turned around to see someone else. And again, the grief, the clarity wasn't there, the tears looking through tears. And, and there's this other man that she sees. And, and this man asked the same question that the angels had asked prior. Uh, this man asked, why weepest thou? He went on to ask this, whom seekest Thou, she assumed that this man that was speaking was the keeper of the garden. What she didn't know is that this man is the one that, that we read in the Bible is the son of man. This was Jesus Christ speaking to her. And in the law, she's not discerning it initially. It took her a minute. And then on one word, the Easter story changed for her. To her, Jesus said this one word, Mary, like Ruth on the phone with Clayton, wait, wait, wait a minute. I recognize that voice. 
And no word means more to anybody than their own name. It would have captured her attention, my, my name, and, and from that voice. And, and at that moment, she's beginning to put the pieces together. Wait a minute, the stone is gone. And, and I remember Jesus had said, and, 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 and Lord, and, and she's coming to, to realize this is Jesus Christ, God the Son. Yes, he had died, she'd seen it. But he was now alive from the dead, and that changed everything for her. Think of that. You can travel to Egypt today to look at the pyramids and these places that contain the mummified remains of Egyptian royalty. You can make your way to London and go to Westminster Abbey and there you'll find in that place the the graves of the notables, the royals of of London. And literally as you're walking on the floor in that that structure, you're you're walking on grave sites of well-known people. If you had the time, you could make your way to India to the Taj Mahal that was built as a memorial to the wife of one of India's shahs. But if you were to get on a plane and stop probably in New York and then the next stop in Tel Aviv and get on a bus and if you were to drive just outside of Jerusalem to see the tomb where the body of our Lord was placed, you would discover that what's notable at that, that place is the fact that he's not in it. That's what separates him from everybody else. Jesus wasn't the only one to claim to have been sent from God. Jesus wasn't the only one to claim to have taught the words of God. But he was the only one to tell the whole world that he would be killed, that he would be buried, and three days later he would come back to life. Jesus Christ called the shot. He made it happen. And his resurrection validates the truth and the reality of who he is and what he can do for you. We've made our way in conversation through much of John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18 or so, but I'd like for you to look back at verse 13 for a moment, if you would. As we look there in the midst of this narrative that we've just talked through, the Bible says, and they, these would be the angels, and they say unto her, that would be Mary, okay? They said, woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, because they've taken... Away, my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. As we consider the meaning of this time and the changes that it brought to Mary's life and the changes it can bring to our lives, I want us to see today that the reality of the resurrection in Mary's life, and it can be in your life, it led her from heartache to hope. That was the path she traveled from from heartache to to hope, from loss to hope. Now, the primary condition of Mary prior to seeing Jesus alive, it was just abject grief, total and complete grief. Her heart was broken. It affected more than her physical sight. She couldn't see very well with all the tears, but it was really affecting her ability to look into the future of her life or look down the road in her life and find any reason, find any purpose, find any fulfillment. Jesus really was the centerpiece of her life, the foundation, the cornerstone. And and when he died, she just had no confidence at all that she could move forward in a meaningful way. Her hope was gone. But when she saw Jesus alive, it changed everything for her. Friends, I want you to know if Jesus is not alive at this moment, we are all hopeless and helpless people. The Apostle Paul was writing to a church in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, he said this. He said, but, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't risen. 
In other words, he's saying if we don't believe that, that there's a life for those who know God after death, then, then Jesus could not be risen. And if Jesus isn't risen, if, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is, is also vain. What was Paul saying? Paul was a preacher of the gospel, the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, listen, you guys need to know something. You need to be aware of something. If Jesus Christ didn't rise again from the dead, my messages are a waste of your time. The content of the sermon today is absolutely vain. It is empty. It is worthless. It is not accurate. It can't help you at all. He wanted everybody to know that it all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, and and if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, we're all just wasting our times. Paul went on a few verses later to add to this thought. He said this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we Who's we? He's talking to a church, presumably a group of believers. We, followers of Jesus, are of all men most miserable. Well, why is that? Why would we be of all men most miserable if we're Christ followers, believing the truth of the resurrection? Well, the fact is, if there's no God and there's no uh, 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 joy in a relationship with him, that would mean we're, we're really people that have no eternity to think about. There's really no law that should be compelled upon us other than what maybe we would choose to accept. The reality of the situation is, if we're not following Jesus, we really shouldn't be concerned with things like uh, being good to others and helping those in need and, and those types of things. We probably shouldn't bother ourselves with, with some of the other moral things things in life. There are a lot of things thou shalt do, and there are some things that say thou shalt not do, and none of those should trouble us. Here's what he's saying. He said, if you believe in the resurrection and that truth has an impact on how you're living, if the, rev- if the uh, resurrection is not true, just throw all that to the curb. Be more like the people in the day they called the Epicureans who said, hey, eat, drink, and be merry. You might die tomorrow. Live it up. Party it up. If it feels good, do it. Don't constrain your flesh. Whatever you want to do, that's what you should do. And, and Paul said, listen, as Christians, if there's no resurrection, imagine all that we're missing out on. But the reality is it is true. It calls us from heartache to a life of, of hope. That truth can turn our hearts around. It turned Mary's heart around. But we also find in this text that, that it turned Mary from confusion to confidence. Now, at the end of verse 13, there was a statement that Mary made. She said this, I know not where they've laid him. But I want to think of those words, I know not. If ever an honest statement had been made, there it is. She was saying, in this whole situation, man, I just, I don't know. I can't figure it out. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what has happened here. She was totally, completely confused. How many of you have ever been just confused in life? It's not adding up. It's not how you wrote the script for your life and something changed and now you're in this, in this storm in life and you're thinking, man, I know not. I like the story of a man who was a construction worker and late one afternoon on the job site, man, he got hit in the head so hard with some boards and it knocked him out cold and his coworkers rushed over and he was knocked out so soundly they thought he had died. So they looked at him and they thought, no sense calling an ambulance. He's died. We should probably just call the mortuary, which they did. They came, picked the man up, and being late in the day, they took him back, and they just put him there in a casket, and they thought, we'll we'll get to him tomorrow, you know. And, And so everybody went home, and this man now, in the cool of the evening, he wakes up. Wouldn't that be creepy? He's laying there, and he wakes up, and he's thinking, satin, kind of looking around puts his head back on the pillow, and he starts to think about things. 
and he's thinking, if, if I'm alive, what am I doing laying in a casket? He thought about that for a while. And then another question came to his mind. He said, but if I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom so bad? Okay. He's trying to figure everything out, and he had more questions than answers. And there are those times in life where, where we're just filled with confusion. And in Mary's life, she was filled with confusion, but the proof of the resurrection led her to confidence. She said, I know not. She was telling the truth. She couldn't figure anything out in the moment. But when she came to realize the truth of the resurrection, a confidence emerged that changed everything. I, I want us to see as we continue looking in this text that it led Mary from indecision to influence. Now, Lord willing, this will all come together, but just stick with me on this thought. Here she is, heartbroken, confused, indecisive. And those often go together, don't they? And here she is in this moment. Her foundation had crumbled. She didn't know which way to turn. When she realized it was Jesus that was standing before her, he spoke. And when Jesus speaks, it's good to listen. And to Mary, Jesus said this, Mary, go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father. Isn't that interesting? My father and your father and to my God and, and your God. So Jesus said to Mary, Mary, go and say. And we know that Mary responded to the words of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Mary came and told. Jesus said, go and say. She came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. And so here she is responding to Jesus Christ. She literally became a vessel or an avenue through which God could work. She went from indecision in life just not knowing what to do, to being an influence in the lives of those around her because of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. And I'm so grateful for it. And, and, and I believe it with every fiber of my being. Jesus Christ can change our lives. But I want you to know that the barrier that would prevent him from working in our lives is something that we need to understand and we need to see the remedy for it. There was a thought in the words that Jesus said a moment ago to Mary. He said, my father and your father and my God and, and your God. That there was a, a, a statement in there that, that meant, Mary, listen, there's a relationship that I have with God the Father and you have with God the Father. And we know that relationship was established through, through faith. She believed in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says this, but as many as received him, not just know about God, but they've actually at a moment in time, they've received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. That word is the authorization. We've been authorized by God to become the sons of God. And here's how it happens. Even to them that believe on his name. It's faith. And we know that Mary believed. And, and the resurrection for her, it was an event, but it was a whole lot more than an event. The resurrection for her was a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus is speaking. He said this. He said, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said, let me set the table for you. When it comes to Easter Sunday, here's the message Jesus would say. It's me. I am the resurrection and the life. And if people want to know what it is to have eternal life, here's how they can know that they have it. They can believe on me. And in the very next verse, Jesus asked the kind of question 
that is to serve the purpose of probing our hearts today. Here's what Jesus said. He said, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then here's the question. Believest thou this? And I believe today Jesus is asking that question to us today. Do you believe this? The thing about belief is that it's personal. I, I certainly couldn't tell anyone else you believe or don't believe. And you couldn't tell anyone else you believe or don't believe. It's a personal thing. But that is why the Bible is filled with questions like that where God is trying to get us to the point where we'll think through this and we'll, we'll see where we stand in terms of a relationship with God. In fact, the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 asks one of these questions. Listen to this. Examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Listen to what what the Apostle Paul was saying here. He He was telling people, look, you need to look in your own heart. Search your own life. Examine yourselves. Are you are you in the faith? Do you do you believe? You see, our eternity is based on the assurance of a relationship with God, and it is great to believe that God can make the difference, but friends, until we know him, there's no real help in that. The resurrection changes everything. From time to time, I like to end our services just giving people an opportunity to accept God's God's love and his free gift of eternal life. And I can't think of a better Sunday to do that than Resurrection Sunday. I want you to know that we can have the absolute assurance in our hearts that, that we can die and be eternally alive in Christ, have a home in heaven. The Bible makes that clear to us. Now, there are some problems we've just got to be honest about. They're universal. I'm not looking down on anybody. This applies to every single one of us. Uh, the Bible says, you know, God's perfect. He's holy. We're not. And there is a word for the fact that we're not holy like God. The, the word is sin. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that that we've all sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. There's been a, a shortcoming. The standard of God is perfection and none of us are perfect. So we may strive to be good, but we're imperfect, so we fall short. And the Bible says that every single one of us, well, we've sinned and we've fallen short. And there's a price for this. If you fall short of that which would allow you to enjoy a relationship with God, there's a price to be paid. And the Bible says the wages of sin, or in other words, the, what we deserve because of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we've got two options here. We've got a choice to make in life. The Bible says what we deserve because of our sin is an eternal death. And and death is separation. Physical death is separation from the body. Spiritual death, as is spoken here, eternal death, is separation from the presence of God. And the place the Bible says that we go to spend eternity removed from God's the place I don't like to talk about, you don't like to hear about, but frankly, Jesus talked a lot about it. It's the place the Bible calls hell. And so the Bible says what we deserve because of our sins is to be eternally separated from God. But there's a gift of God, and it's eternal life. Now, right about now, I'm asking myself a question. How can you get a gift from God, a gift of eternal life? As Paul continued to write his letter to these people to tell them about how they could know for sure that they would spend eternity in heaven with God, He went on to say this. He said, whosoever, and I'm going to read on, but I love that word. Pastor, you just don't know what I've been through or where I come from or who. Look, hey, we all could say that. 
That's why I love the way God uses this type of wording to say, anybody, whosoever. Easter's for you. It's for you. Whosoever shall call. How do we call God? Well, obviously, this is prayer. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we throw words around, and sometimes as a pastor, I, I, just, I use words all the time, and it's helpful to define them. Saved, what's that all about? Well, the Bible says we'll be saved from the penalty of our sin. But what do we deserve because of our sin? Well, the Bible says it's spiritual death, separation from God. And so we can be saved from that, but there's two sides to this coin. We can be saved then to a relationship with God that lasts forever. We can be saved. Whosoever, that's anybody, calls upon the name of the Lord. That, that, that means going to God in prayer, asking him. But Paul really elaborated on what this meant. And just before those words I read, Paul said, well, let me really explain to you how this works. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, confess with thy mouth. We say, well, there's prayer again. And yes, you'd be right, but I suppose it could have said if you had said with your mouth. The idea in confession is we're admitting. What are we admitting? Here's what we have to understand before we come to God to receive his free gift of eternal life. God, you're right. I agree with you. I'm not perfect. I have sinned. I confess. I admit it. I admit it. So it begins with this idea of, look, I understand I need God. I admit that. And I believe that that God rose Jesus from the dead. And why would Paul get to that point? Because all of it hinges on the resurrection. That's what separates Jesus from all others. And so we're admitting our need. We're believing that Jesus paid the price for us on the cross and then validated it. The receipt for the payment on the cross was the empty tomb. And the Bible says, if we believe this, we will be Saved. Friends, let me tell you something. If there were any other way to be spiritually saved, if there were any other way, join a church, good works, give an offering, light a candle, get baptized, make a pilgrimage. If there were any other way, Jesus Christ would not have gone through the horrors of the cross. But there was no other way because there is a penalty for sin. And if we have to pay it, we're eternally separated. So Jesus Christ, God the Son, said, look, you can't make it to me. I'll help you out. I'm coming to you. And I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to go everything you go through. uh, In all points, I'll be tempted like as you are, but without sin. And then when I die on the cross, I won't be paying for my sin because I'm God. I I I can provide a payment that will be for everybody's sin. And he said, listen, if you'll be willing in your heart to just acknowledge, yeah, I'm a sinner, and to accept my free gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of a home in heaven, he says you can be saved. You can be saved. Don't you dare trust your eternity to some church. You trust Jesus Christ. He said, I'll take care of everything. He doesn't ask us for anything. In fact, he tells us it's not by works of righteousness. He said, just trust me. I've taken care of this. Now, maybe you're here today and in your heart you're thinking, you know, I'm just not sure if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. Well, the great news in this is in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, the Bible tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. And so we can know. Well, you might say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm still not absolutely certain. Well, friends, here's the good news. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to establish a relationship with you that will last forever, he always 
says yes when we come in faith. Maybe you're here right now and you're thinking, Pastor, uh, less than 100% certain. But you're thinking, but if that could be known, I'd like to know it. Well, if you'll be willing to trust Jesus Christ, I promise he can change your life as he changed Mary's life, as he's changed my life. He's a great Savior. But it all begins with the relationship with him. And so if you're here today and you'd say, here I am on Easter Sunday, man. I made it. I'm glad you're here. But maybe there's more meaning for you in this day than enjoying music and hearing some kind of uh, sermon up here. Maybe this would be a day where you can, you can establish that relationship with God. So here's how we're going to end our service today. If you're here this morning and if you were asked the question, hey, are you absolutely sure if you died today that you just immediately be in the presence of God. You'd spend eternity in heaven with him. If you'd say, you know, I'm not really, I'm not sure about that. Maybe you'd say, I hope so, but you're not sure. Maybe you'd say, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. <laughs> Anywhere from zero to 99. Why don't you take, take God at his word today? And just, just take him at his word and, and trust him for the payment of, of our sin. That's what the cross and the empty tomb are all about. And, and if you're here today and there hasn't been a moment in time in your life where you've said essentially to Jesus, I believe in you and the power of your resurrection, and I want to accept your gift right now. I want to accept your gift. If that's you today, I'm going to close in a prayer. And I already told you, it's not repeating a prayer. Paul said, if you believe in your heart and confess in your mouth, it's just expressing what's going on in here. And if you would agree with, with God today that none of us are perfect, that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, his name is Jesus, and that he died and he rose again, if you'll believe that in your heart and you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior, you'd be, you'd be nuts to take my word on it. But we were pretty careful today, weren't we, to make sure to go through the Bible and share this is what God has to say on the matter. And if you're not sure today, I'll invite you to join me in prayer. Would you all be so kind as to bow your heads with me in a spirit of prayer and and you're here today and, and thinking, that, that's me. I need to pray this prayer today, make this Easter a special one. Obviously, nobody's looking around. Our heads are bowed. But, but as I pray in a moment, I'll pray a few words and then stop. And that'll give you an opportunity if you'd like to join in this prayer to pray. And, and it's simply a prayer saying, Jesus, I want to be saved from my sin and to a relationship with you forever. And if you'd like to join me this morning, I'd invite you to do so. Let, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus... I know that I'm a sinner and that I deserve to pay for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me and give me a home in heaven when I die. Help me to live for you and thank you for answering this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just.